0: constantly move forward. There's a continuing and urgent need for higher education. It's necessary for tomorrow's future and for a dynamically changing workforce. As the need for education is changing, so is education itself. Welcome to Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education with your host, Dave Goldberg. In this program, we'll discuss the complex changes that are being made to higher education today and we'll help you stay ahead of tomorrow if you're a student, educator, or in the workforce. Now, here's Dave
1: Goldberg. Good day and welcome to Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education. I am Dave Goldberg, I'm your show host, and Big Beacon is a movement to transform higher education around the world at bigbeacon.org. In every episode, we explore some of the innovators and innovations that are changing the world of higher education all around us. You can follow live tweeting of the show, ask questions, or make comments about the show during the program on Twitter at uh, hashtag Big Beacon, where Salma Burney is standing by to um, um, both tweet and and uh, pick up your questions. And and um, today, I'm, I'm really excited to have a uh, special guest uh, coming to us from uh, Ghana in Africa, uh, Fred Lury from uh, Seshi University. Welcome to the show, Fred. Thank you, Dave. Thanks for having me. Well, it's great to it's great to have you, and and you've got an interesting personal story, and of course, Aseshi's uh, story is uh, an interesting one as well. And we'll jump into those, but we'd like to get to know our um, our guests a little bit before we dive right into the the main event. And so, Fred, you're an engineer, trained engineer, bachelor's, master's, PhD. You're a, a business leader with an MBA, you're, and now you're an academic leader. But let's let's go back in the time machine. Um, what were some of the early influences? that helped put you on your current path? That's, a, that's
2: an interesting question. Um, so I grew up in Ghana, um, mostly with my grandparents who had immigrated from the northern part of Ghana to settle in Accra, which is the capital of Ghana, uh, in the mid-40s. and mm. They never had any formal education. And... They insisted that all their children did, and their grandchildren did, and they were quite tough on that. So at a very early age, um, education was key in our family. And then we had a neighbor who was a mechanic, and he used to bring these old cars and recover them, and I used to run errands for him. And I kind of got very excited about putting things together and breaking things apart. So that would be what I would say would be the most distant thought that one day I was going to be an engineer. Um, and also most of the kids that I grew around with who did not make it into the formal educational system became yeah. traders. They sold stuff you know, in the middle of traffic and um, tried to cover living whatever way they knew. So yeah. these were kind of the early pillars that kinda of drove me into both education, into business, and and today into academia.
1: That's so interesting because in the States it it used to be the case that uh young people would go into engineering because they lived on a farm and they had to do mechanical things and they they m- they took things apart and they put them back together, as you were saying, and 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 somewhere along the way it changed. And and kids in the states go into engineering because they're good at math and science, but they they used to start from the the practical end as as you did. Comment? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: I, I, and I saw a lot of that when I was a student in the U.S. You know, in some of the institutions that I went to. Uh, Students will come in, and if you had an elective course that did not have bio in it, nobody was interested. Um, Everybody was interested in the cool, high-end technologies that they could launch companies out of. I see. Um, So that seems to be a trend. But in the Midwest also, I would say in places like Ohio Ohio State, where I went to, um, Mm. you could also meet a lot of students who were from the Midwest states, from the farms, uh, that we're also interested in taking things apart and really wanting to be good engineers, not necessarily business leaders, but but good engineers.
1: Yeah. How did you uh, How did you uh, You know, so you grew up in Ghana, and you and you, you got your higher education in the States. How did you get to the States?
2: So I would. Um, I went to high school here. I went to a school called Nandom Secondary School, which is 450 miles from where I'm seated today. And when I graduated, it's a British type of education where you would do five years of O-levels and two years of advanced level at a time. Um, That has changed since. And so I came back south where my grandparents lived, and I went to sit for them. Uh, that is in preparation for the advanced level. I went to a school called at Augustine's College. And then one afternoon after lunch, as I was making my way to the dormitory, you know, I got a call that I had received a letter. And so I went to the administration building, got the letter, and opened it. And it was an invitation to interview for a scholarship from the scholarship secretariat in Ghana. And this is basically the government arm yeah. responsible for scholarships. So I met a couple of other students, and we took a national exam, and we got interviewed. And I was one of two students at the time that was picked um, to go to Central State University in Ohio. So I went to the United States uh, with a government scholarship.
1: Yeah, how cool is that? And how cool to get how cool to get picked in that?
2: No, it was an amazing experience. You know, um, yeah. I wasn't expecting it. I mean, obviously, I had attended one of the deprived high schools um, that had no access to electricity, had no access to teachers. In fact, teachers who were posted to that part of the country at the time would not even take the appointments because there was no electricity. There was no any social um, sort of life that they could enjoy after teaching. And so most would refuse postings. And we had to study using lanterns. Uh, We had to teach each other physics, teach each other chemistry and biology, what may you. And so the kind of grace that I got from that kind of environment, you know, was really the factor that played into uh, me being nominated um, by the government at the time for a scholarship to the United States.
1: Awesome, great story, and thanks for thanks for sharing it. And and as you know, we're on this show. We're in particularly interested in what in the book a whole new engineer uh, Mark Somerville at Olin College and I called unleashing experiences. And and I and we may have heard some of your unleashing already, but um, but what I guess the question to ask is what experiences or individuals along the way. Um, and you've you've had such you've had very cool experiences in your life. What helped give you the courage to go your own way? You've gone your own way. What, how did you have the courage mm-hmm. to do that? So you
2: know, I spent most of my career essentially in the healthcare sector, and yeah. um, an interesting life event actually drove me into healthcare. Uh, I always knew that I wanted to be an engineer um, and kind of build things up, create new things but not necessarily in a particular space uh, within engineering. But when I was a PhD student, I would say my second year of PhD, um, I was actually assaulted in my, in my apartment um, in Dayton, Ohio. I was attacked. I was actually shot oh my. in my tummy um, in, in my apartment. I had just returned from... The Air Force Institute of Technology, uh, where I was doing my research work um, as part of my my PhD sponsorship from the University of Dayton, and you know it was 6:45. I was up in my kitchen cooking gizzards, and I had a knock on the door, and I went and got the door, thinking it was one of my mates, um, having done my undergraduate in the area. Most of my Friends and classmates were still working in the area. So every Friday, they'll come by with beer, we'll drink and watch football. So I just thought it was one of them. So I opened the door and I got shot. Oh, my. And um, I was admitted at a hospital. I went through two surgeries. So one interesting thing that happened on my second surgery at Miami Valley Hospital, um, I think this was actually at Miami's beck uh, my nurse at the time, an older gentleman in his, probably say late 50s, early 60s, um, I actually thought he was a doctor. He would come in, you know, very, very professional, um, we'll have a conversation, and then he would leave. So one day he came and he sat at the foot of my bed, and he said, Fred, what, what got you here? What happened? You know, so I said, oh, I came from school. And then he stopped me. He said, you go to school? <laughs> and I said, yeah, I'm a PhD student at University of Dayton. And he said, oh, my God, what happened? I said, well, somebody just knocked on my door. I opened, thinking it was one of my friends, and I got shot. And so he started to cry. And um, so I was like, what's going on? And he said, um, you know, I'm a nurse. In case you haven't picked that up, Um, When I was 56 years old, I had a heart attack, and I told God that if I survived, I was going to go into the medical profession and help other people. So I enrolled at St. Clair Community College in downtown Dayton, and I was the oldest nursing student ever. (laughs) And at first, the students would just look at me and laugh, you know, like they were with grandpa in class. But when they heard my story, you know, they rallied around me and they helped me out. And I've been doing this for the last eight years. So I said, wow, how cool is that? Well, you know, if I ever get out of here, I'm also going to go into the medical field. And since I'm an engineer, I'm going to bring my skills you know, to help make life easier for other people. Thanks for sharing your story. So I would really say that, you know, that conversation with that old man who had gone through some medical trauma and which had shaped, you know, his own career path and what he had to offer society was really what put me 16 years um, into the medical health, medical devices space where I made some impactful contributions.
1: Wow. Yeah, and I, I I had a question about uh, what effect did uh, healthcare have on your thinking about engineering. I think you've just told us though that it's uh it's fundamentally why you you went into uh healthcare. I, I wonder how that um you know, so sometimes in engineering it's taught in this very uh rational kind of way and you know, we we use the left side of our brains a lot and not so much the right side. And I'm, I'm wondering, how, to, how did that experience of being shot and your commitment to use your engineering um, to um, help people in, with their health uh, shape how you view um, how engineering should be taught?
2: Yeah. So, you know, after going through that trauma, um, I think the experience that I got even in interacting with health workers, whether they were humans who mm. needed tools to help them engage the patient, the customer. Um, and oftentimes, there's a lot of frustration. I mean, you see a nurse who is barely 120 pounds trying to help somebody who is 600 pounds. They are tired, they are fatigued. So, what I learned from that interaction is that. Any devices, any instruments that you develop within this space should be assistive, assistive in the sense that it should facilitate that engagement. It should make life easy for the patient and also easy for the health worker. When health workers are overstretched and patients who are used to being normal people are all of a sudden unable, there's a lot of emotions that go back and forth, and for me, these devices are supposed to help kind of lower these bars and foster a better engagement so that there's a win-win situation for both the patient and the health, work, health, health worker. So one of the fundamental things I would ask myself when I did product design would be, if my mother or my grandmother or any of my siblings were to use this device, what experience would I want them to have? You know, and wow. so that kind of is what informs what I do. And when I teach, I try to tell the students that these are not things that these are not theoretical things that you you walk away from saying. Look, I took a course in controls, or I took a course in embedded systems. These are really tools we hand you that you have to translate into products that will impact people's lives in a positive way. Yeah, and you know. If you don't, if they don't get a positive experience and they get a bad experience, there are consequences to that, both professionally and for what you do. Nice. So understanding that lives, you know, for engineers, as, as the popular saying goes, if a lawyer made a, makes a mistake, his or her client might go to jail for a while, you know. If a uh, if a, if, a, if a doctor makes a mistake, a patient may die, but when a, an engineer makes a mistake, a lot of people get killed and and that informs how, how I teach engineering ethics that informs how I teach students about how to translate the skills that we are trying to give them to positively impact society
1: cool so and we're going to talk and we're going to talk more about um engineering at Ashesi in the in the next segment uh, we've got a couple of minutes left in this segment but you know some of our listeners may or may not be uh, as familiar as others with Ashesi University in, in Ghana what so uh, Ashesi started its first class in 2002 what tell us the short version of Ashesi University story
2: so Ashesi University was started by a young energetic Ghanaian born Microsoft program manager who had returned to Ghana you know, with the intention of starting a software company, and then soon realized that um, most of the graduates from our computer science institutions at the time had never written computer code on a computer. And so it dawned on him quickly that perhaps it wasn't a software company he needed to start, but an, an educational institution. And that's really the origins of Ashanti University, and the intent was to to build a new type of educational institution with a core liberal arts base, um, with a focus on, you know, grooming a new generation of African leaders who are ethical, who are entrepreneurial, who are creative, and tinkerers. Um, to, to help show up our leadership deficiency in this part of the world um, and also to begin to help build a society um, that we all la- like to live in. And so those were really the humble beginnings um, of a young visionary who, who saw a niche um, and saw an opportunity to, to make an impact in a society that needed a new direction Um, not only how education needed to be delivered, um, but also how to leverage education to foster development, um, a new type of development, a visionary leadership uh, that Africa is in need of and is still in need of.
1: Yeah. We need to take a little bit of a a break, Fred, but after we come back, I want to talk specifically about... um, uh, a uh, uh, foray into engineering that began a couple of years ago, and and uh, you're taking the dean's job. How about that? That would be cool. Thanks. Yeah. So uh, this is uh, Big Beacon Radio with our our special uh, guest, Fred Fred McBeckenluri, and, Lurie and uh, from Assisi University, and uh, we're going to talk about engineering at Assisi in the next segment. <laughs>
0: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Do you want greater success in bringing change to your university, college, department, or classroom? Are you looking for a keynote speaker to inspire your organization with stories of transformative change? Would you like to boost your own academic, business, or technical career? Let David E. Goldberg of Three Joy Associates help. David is a leading speaker, author, trainer, and leadership coach with experience in helping bring successful change to educational organizations and education and technical careers around the globe. To learn more, call Dave Goldberg at 217-621-2645, contact him at deg at 3joy.com, or browse the 3Joy website, www.3joy.com today. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Big Beacon Radio. If you'd like to call into the program today, please call one 866 472 5790. Again, that's 1 866 472 5790. Or send an email to deg at bigbeacon.org. Now, back to this week's show.
1: And welcome back to Big Beacon Radio. I'm Dave Goldberg, and the second segment is sponsored by Three Joy Associates. Get the training, coaching, and change leadership knowledge and know how to help transform your organization or educational institution. And you can uh, ask our guest uh, questions uh, uh, live uh, on, um, on Twitter or make comments at hashtag BigBeacon. And we're back uh, with Fred McBaganlurie from uh, Asseshi University and uh, Dean of Engineering there. And in this segment, we want to talk a little bit about engineering. So, Fred, um, engineering began at Asseshi in 2015. You were asked to be its first dean. And at the time, you look like you. Looking at your background, you were in a pretty nice uh, VP position in, at a healthcare firm. Um, what uh, What prompted you to make the move? Oh boy. So
2: Ashassi, my my experience with Ashassi started somewhere in the, in the the latter part of twenty
0: thirteen.
2: Mm. Um, I had a niece, uh, Sylvia Binger, who is in California now, who was a student here. And she will tell me all these great stories about Ashassi. Say, Uncle, you need to come see this place on your next visit. You have to see Ashasi. And of course, each time I will come, and I have only two weeks. I'll run around for a while, run a few errands, visit a few family, and then go back to the States. So, on this particular visit, she woke me up one early morning, and she said, "Today we are going to Ashasi And I said, "Sweetie, it's, it's it's too early. Can I just?" sleep. (laughs) She said, no, we're going to Ashesi. So I said, can I just take a shower? She said, no, we're going to Ashesi. You can take a shower when we get back. And I said, I don't feel like driving. She said, oh, I'll drive. That's not a problem. So we set out for Ashesi University. And about 30 minutes into the drive, I said, honey, where are we going? This road is awful. I mean, she said, oh, we're just 10 minutes away, 10 minutes away from Ashesi. I said, well, that 10 minutes better come up quick. (laughs) <laughs> so then I asked her again, are we there yet? She said, no. I said, honey, a road this bad, you know, better leads to something great. She said, well, wait, you will see. So we came up the hill, and I shot about 45 minutes from Accra. We came up the hill, and I saw this beautiful city, city on the hill. I said, wow, this is really nice. I, I can't believe anything like this can happen here in Ghana or in Africa for that matter. So we came up, and I was so impressed. I mean, I love the environment, love the ambience, nice horticulture. And so we went to see Patrick Ewa, who is the president and founder of Ashanti University. And I told him what a great job he's done, how impressed I was. And then I made a promise. I said, hey, you know, you guys don't have anything here that I can help with yet. But, you know, if you ever start engineering, I would like to come help. Well, two years into that conversation, Ashasi Engineering came, and I had to make the decision between a nice fat check at Johns Healthcare in Arlington, Texas, and Ashasi University. And obviously, I made the right choice um, of taking up the role as Dean of Engineering. So that's essentially my story uh, with how I came to Ashasi.
1: Wow, and and so uh, you joined in uh, twenty fifteen, and and uh, how, um, so and and had started much earlier with uh, with the other liberal arts courses, and I think business and some others. Um, so when how did how how did how did you go about uh, um, planning the engineering program? What uh, how did how did you guys do that?
2: So most of the heavy lifting was done before I got here, but um, I've been able to catch up with the history to it. So I I, I just really started developing this program by engaging multiple stakeholders. Um, And these stakeholders were mostly companies in Accra um, who had a stake in any form of engineering education. Uh, They held a few sessions with these stakeholders. To really try to understand what their needs are, where the deficiencies are, and really what they would like to see in future engineers um, that they will have to absorb into industry. Um, They also engage a couple of institutions in the U.S. I know Miami University, Dartmouth, uh, Swarthmore College, University of Waterloo, Arizona State University. Um, So there was also an engagement with academia. And so a series of workshops went back and forth, um, and they finally agreed on the three core areas um, that were that was in need, which is mechanical engineering, computer engineering, and electrical engineering, um, and then also you know trying to seed uh, the core engineering courses with a liberal arts piece, which is which is a critical component um, of what we deliver um, at Ashasi University. So we made sure that we got both academic perspectives uh, from folks who have been teaching engineering much longer and in some really well recognized higher institutions of learning in the United States, Canada, um, and then also, you know, engaging industrial Ghana to make sure that our students have a home um, when they graduate, and also to make sure that we were meeting their needs.
1: What now in, so that's in, in
2: how that laboratory process went?
1: Yeah, so what were some of the uh, – so I, I have a, probably a sense of what my uh, engineering academic colleagues would – their advice might be back then. But what were the, what were the needs of uh, uh, industry in Ghana? What, what, did, what did those stakeholders tell you they wanted out of the new engineering graduate from Asashi? So they
2: said they wanted mechanical engineers. They wanted electrical engineers. Yeah, They wanted doers. They wanted students that would come in hands-on. They wanted problem solvers, critical thinkers. Um, they wanted people that could communicate properly. Um, and that these three core areas that we have defined, where there are needs, um, and if they needed to train them, you know, they would do that. Uh, we had companies like GE that would say, look, you know, you send us the students in any of these three categories and we can help train them to do gas exploration, oil exploration, petroleum engineering. Um, there, wasn't, there was no need to just spread into all different engineering areas, you know, sure. just for the sake of it. If you give us the three fundamentals, we'll be able to shape what we need around these locals
1: so in and so so I'm hearing in 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 your narrative, I'm hearing uh, so the sense of kind of this liberal arts core, this kind of hands on core and a leadership piece in in what way are there are there distinctive elements of of how you do that um at at a at a session some you know something that that you know there there's a there's a lot of concern for engineering education world-round, but, uh, mm-hmm. but I'm just wondering, are, are there things that uh, when, when people from around the world come and see what you're doing, they go, wow, I wish we did it that way? Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. So all students uh, matriculating into Ashanti University, we eventually end up taking four modules of leadership mm. courses. Okay? Um, what's a good leader? What's a good society? Seven leadership. Um, all students coming into Ashesi will take a programming course. So this is independent of if they are going into business or engineering. All our students take two courses in fundamentals of design and entrepreneurship in addition to the core Qualibra Arts courses. And, and the ultimate objective is, even for the engineering students, that they have to go into society deal with society, and in fact, as part of our, our last module in leadership, which is seven leadership, our students actually go into the communities and help communities identify key problems that they have, and then they help them find solutions to them. Um, we've had students go on into villages around us, um, help shape curriculum, um, help taught after-school programs. We've had our students as part of their leadership modules gone to help convert KVIPs into biogas. Um, we've had students gone out, taught pineapple farmers how to harvest rainwater and how to improve crop yield. Um, yeah. So these are the fundamental tools that we give our students, which is different from what everybody else is doing around.
1: No, I and I, and bless you for doing it. And and uh, actually, you, sorry, you almost said it in passing, but uh, you know, for it's unusual to see the term servant leadership, Robert Gre- Greenleaf's uh, term servant leadership, and in an engineering context. And I think you're exactly right. Um, my, when I first did. Uh, Training for the new faculty for for a new kind of faculty member at, at national university of Singapore in 2010. I talked about teachers as servant leaders, and I was talking from that same um, that same script, uh, Robert Greenleaf's script. And of course, Robert Greenleaf has uh, has influenced lots of um, writers and in and uh, uh, thinkers and in leadership. But w- what made you choose uh, servant leadership as the as the way in for? For kids in Ghana?
2: So, if you look at the way our educational system has often operated, you know, almost um, Oxford style, Cambridge style, um, we graduate folks who go seeking for jobs. Um, And we are looking at a, a fundamental module where we are transitioning from job seekers to job creators, mm. which means that our students have responsibility to society also as they graduate. We live in an environment where, um, and I'm going to say this and say it very carefully, Just, uh, <laughs> um, because we, customer service is a challenge. Okay? Even when you go into the shops to buy stuff, the sellers think they are doing you, the customer, a favor there's a fundamental paradigm shift uh, in in how this customer-client relationship operates in this part of the world where everybody that you're buying from rather thinks that you are doing service, they're doing you a great favor. (laughs) And so the mindset that we're trying to to change is that, look, our job as the educated people in society, the skilled and artisans, we are supposed to serve. We're supposed to go into society and make an impact. You know, and some of the leadership challenges we also see in the continent is that our leaders are actually not elected to serve. <laughs> uh, they tend to have the mindset that they are elected to Lord. Yes. And, and so, server leadership for us is one way in which we are building this humility pipeline, you know, for oh. lack of a better word. That is, look, this society can develop if we begin to see each other as a community, you know, where ideas can be exchanged without barriers, without, without any form of classism, and that people that you interact with and you deliver service with are at the same level with you in, in human terms. Um, and so it's, it's a humbling process um, to, to just have our, to have our students go into villages, identify critical problems that people are actually experiencing, and then rolling up their sleeves Going on their knees in debt and helping develop solutions.
1: Wow. Well, and it, it's and and you know you and you talk about it from a, a Ghanaian context of of the lording over. I, I love the term humili- You're building a humility pipeline. Wow. What a uh, what a metaphor. But um, even in the states, though we. Um, we could use a lesson or two in servant leadership a lot of times. So there's a lot of uh, a marketing in, you know, as taught in business schools has, has customer service built in, but you get on the phone with a customer service representative and it's scripted and it's not coming from the heart. And so even though we've, Mm -hmm. we've, we've got the right script, we don't have the right heart. And, and, uh, and so I'm hearing um, that you're sort of, Skipping the part where you build the script without the heart, and that you um, that you you build it in, and and actually, I recall um, when I used the term servant leadership in Singapore, it got a bit of a cultural reaction. again, from mm-hmm. a, this, a another British influenced society that um where the term lord still had some some meaning and and people <laughs> lived in households with servants and they thought of a servant as as low class and um That's right. yeah and so um how do, when the when the kids first come into the program and you start talking like this uh uh what's what's the reaction I I can imagine it's mixed yes it is
2: i mean we our pipeline is still The current educational system that we have. Yep, yep. um, Where the kids practice rote memorization. Um, They are exam-focused. Everybody wants to get the best grades. Critical thinking is a challenge. So there's a little bit of reconfiguration um, that goes on. Um, We have, uh, I think we have a, a week of orientation um, our students go through, you know, uh, the leadership module, modules, giving voice to values. Um, they read, you know, they, there's a course on African, African studies. They read about African leadership. Um, you know, they w- there's a program where the president himself teaches some of the leadership modules. Uh, the last one that I sneaked in, he was talking about Jack Welch. You know, mm. energy, yeah. energized, passion. Um, some of the stuff Jack Wells brought to GE that made GE great. Um, so there is this reconditioning process, you know, that goes on for the whole four years that they, they are here. Uh, we give them the opportunities to go on exchange programs to the United States. Um, we have students coming from U.S. colleges uh, that will stay here for a year or a semester. Yeah. And so there is this global view about how education is being delivered in other parts of the world and really how do we adapt this knowledge base to reinvest in our environment here. So it takes a while, but by the time they get to the third and the fourth year, um, they begin to understand you know, what really makes them different um, from their colleagues from other institutions that are not necessarily liberal arts-based. Um, and that knowledge is just beyond you know, the major you get your degree from but also how you understand society in a 360-degree way.
1: Yeah. And I was thinking back to the early days of uh, iFoundry, and and um, we told different – I think, you know, one of the things here is this telling of a new story, a telling of a different story. Of course, cultures tell stories to us, and we're not even aware of them. But when you tell a different story, there is this skepticism – but I think there's a, when when kids come to a place when they come to an iFoundry, when they come to an Aseshi, they come to something that they want to be special, they want to believe something better. And and I actually don't think it takes I think it I think the actual it, it I think it takes them like seven authentic exposures, what and that can be day by day or it can be week by week. But I think they start to really believe if you walk the talk that probably the kids are believing it by about the middle of the first semester. They're starting to know that there's something special going on. What's your, what's your experience?
2: Yeah, that's, that's right. So um, I had a quite, quite an interesting experience last semester when I was teaching physics, um, co-teaching physics with a colleague who is an MIT graduate and a Stanford graduate. And he's 60 years old. I'm 46 years old. And so first day in class, You know, he says, Hey, guys, listen. My name is Charlie Jackson. My friends call me Charlie, but I have a PhD, and you're not my friend. (laughs) So you need to call me Dr. Charles Jackson, okay? And then we all laughed. And then it was my turn. I said, Well, my name is Fred McBaggon Lurie. The last time I checked, I had a PhD also, but you can call me Fred. And so, you know, this bantering creates an atmosphere which is quite unique. It's quite different, mm. you know, from an uptight, serious, um, I'm up here and you are down here type yeah. scenario. Yeah. I mean, by the end of the semester, most of the kids were calling him Charlie anyway. You know? <laughs> but that, that is the kind of environment we try to create over here, an environment where professors are approachable, An environment where the president of the university himself himself stands in the queue with students to buy food. An environment in which he picks his own tray when he's done and sends it to the pantry. An environment where students can knock on my door and come in and ask questions. One that they can stop me in the hallway and ask me questions even non-academic questions you know what do you think about this political issue that is happening today in Ghana what do you think about Donald Trump you know things like that so we we, there are no barriers here we try to break these barriers And, and so it's at first it's a shock to the students but by the time they are in their third fourth year they understand the power of knowledge you know and that knowledge is not supposed to build bridges between people, but it's supposed to be an avenue where ideas can continuously be exchanged.
1: We need to take another uh, short break, but uh, I, I want to continue this conversation for a little bit longer on on, on engineering and then talk a little bit about uh, where you see session uh, uh, going uh, in the future. Okay, thank you. This is uh, Big Beacon Radio with our, our guest, Fred B- Backenlurry from uh, Sashi University. And we're going to come back and talk about the future at Sashi in the last segment.
0: From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You want greater success in bringing change to your university, college, department, or classroom? Are you looking for a keynote speaker to inspire your organization with stories of transformative change? Would you like to boost your own academic, business, or technical career? Let David E. Goldberg of Three Joy Associates help. David is a leading speaker, author, trainer, and leadership coach with experience in helping bring successful change to educational organizations and education and technical careers around the globe. To learn more, call Dave Goldberg at 217-621-2645, contact him at deg at 3joy.com, or browse the 3Joy website, www.3joy.com today.
1: We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go. On iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market.
0: You are listening to Big Beacon Radio. If you'd like to call into the program today, please call one 866 472 5790 again that's 1-866-472-5790 or send an email to deg at bigbeacon.org now back to this week's show
1: and welcome back to uh, big beacon radio for our final segment and the final segment is sponsored by the book that is still helping to transform higher education a whole new engineer the coming revolution in an engineering education at whole new org, um, It's not just for engineers anymore. And uh, we're back with Fred mcbagan from um, Assessio university. And we've been talking about um, his personal journey and, and uh, a- engineering at Assessio and Fred. And, you know, so you've been doing this now for a couple of years. Um, yeah. What's uh What's the, maybe, what would you say, you know, you came with certain expectations, you knew Sesshi was a special place, but what was the most surprising or interesting thing that you've learned in the last couple of years that you, that you weren't expecting?
2: Oh, well, I got a couple of them. I, I, I think the first that I wasn't expecting was, you know, the, the, the number of women that we actually got into the first cohort, so when the first cohort started with 63 students, um, 32% of them were female. Uh, The second cohort started off uh, with about 80 students and about 42% of them were female. Hmm. So that was really surprising because when I left Ghana in 1991, engineering was not for girls. You know, every girl that was good in the sciences was told by their parents they needed to become medical doctors because that was cool. Mm. So that was a real surprise, you know, that I was expecting maybe 10% or 20%. But 30% was actually doing better than, you know, a lot of top-notch universities that I knew of in the United States. Yep. So that was a pleasant surprise. And I think, you know, the, the, the desire is to have a 50-50 engineering cohort. And so I would say it was a, a pleasant surprise, actually, um, that we are on that trajectory. Uh, the, the next biggest surprise for me was that the disparities in preparation that students coming from. And we have 26% of our students are from other countries in Africa that there were clear differences between students who had the English system of education with the O-levels, advanced level, and then the West African exam council. And so these disparities and trying to converge these students, you know, almost by reorient them at the same level, you know, level set the plane so that there would be a proper takeoff, was a big challenge. Um, And of course, I've been gone for so long that um, I really didn't realize how much the educational system in these countries, have deteriorated even at the high school level. So those mm-hmm. were some of the the pleasant surprises that I I experienced when I got back.
1: Yeah. Well. So the yeah the the first one was pleasant. And what do you what do you attribute the the higher numbers to? What what do you have, what do the kids say or 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 whatever whatever you found out? I would, uh, I would out? like
2: to say that. You know, my, um, and I'm sure my admissions team will be pretty excited about that. I, I think they're doing a fantastic job um, in their outreach efforts. Um, identify some of the top schools um, for females. Wesley mm-hmm. Girls, which is in yeah. Cape Coast, is one of them. Ebury Girls, which is up on the hills from us. Yeah. Um, so really having targeted programs mm-hmm. um, and, and this outreach has helped a lot. Um, additionally, Ashasi hosts um, what we call the Ashasi Innovation Experience, which brings high schoolers here mm-hmm. during the long summer breaks to do projects in robotics, engineering, and leadership. So I think giving them the experience, this immersion experience during the summer for them at Ashasi University also informs their choice um, of, one, what institutions they want to go to, and, and two, you know, what kinds of programs they would like to get into. And I would also like to believe that we are beginning to see a paradigm shift you know from you know second generation third generation educated families that are now beginning to actually give kids some latitude perhaps in what they would like to study in school um which is different from when I was growing up where it was sure. all scripted you know your parents said you'll be a doctor and that was what you were going to be no that's'
1: so, uh, so interesting i it, you know when the, um the whole new engineer took a bit of a hit from some quarters because we didn't spend a lot of time explicitly on gender balance um, or or racial balance. And yet, I think if you if you balance engineering culturally, as it sounds to me like you're doing, that that makes it more attractive. That makes the profession and it yes. makes schools that do that more attractive. Your your comments at the beginning about the about engineering as, um this kind of sense of helping others and caring, um, it seems to me is funda is a fundamental piece in in attract and mm-hmm. in, in kind of attracting a more balanced uh, crowd. What do you think? Yeah, you
2: know, and I and I also just to add to what you just said, I think that if you look at the future where women are increasingly getting into the workforce, um, they are earners, um, they are going to start having a say if they are not already doing and what Mm -hmm. kind of engineered products they will buy. You know, and the example I give my class is the cars that we drive today are not necessarily female friendly. Uh, The shoes that women wear today are not necessarily female friendly. Um, once they become engineers, they're going to start telling us what the future of female engineering looks like. Mm. Um, they might turn around and tell us, look, I don't want to buy different clothes all the time. I just want to be able to have a dress that changes color um, when I decide what kind of color it's going to be for that day. Mm. So I think there are some fundamental you know, business driving factors that will emerge and are beginning to emerge, especially with digital manufacturing coming online, where people can design stuff in their own homes and ship it out somewhere to be made. And so this kind of skill set, you know, empowering women with engineering skills, women getting into that, are going to fundamentally alter the way that products are developed in the future and how the buying decision as a whole um, is going to be driven. So I think it is critical that, you know, governments and society in general realizes that bringing women into engineering is not just an issue of equal rights, but it's a wise thing to do.
1: Mm. Nice. And so um, and so you're a couple of years and you've got a couple of cohorts under your belt and you're kind of going forward. What uh, what are the current needs, challenges, uh, opportunities uh Um, for course correction, or what things are you now thinking about in in terms of the engineering program at a session?
2: So we're we're thinking about a couple of things. I think we need to expand um, the practical aspects of what we are doing. So we need more student space so that students can spread out and do their projects. So space... um, would be useful. I would like to see my students have a place where they can post post poster notes, post it all over the place, showing their projects, and they don't have to take it down, but they can keep it down until the project is done. Um, Same environment where one of the fundamental challenges we have is that students work on nice projects and at the end of the semester, they move on to something else and good projects never really go into completion, a universal problem. If, if we have a place where they can spread this out and take it and continue to develop these projects in different courses, then the entrepreneurship component will be firm. Um, I think we need more space for faculty, faculty research labs, um, so that we can support more undergraduate research and then also help our, pro- our professors publish um, some of these experiences um, that we have discussed today. Um, we will need to start looking at you know, different engineering programs. Um, I think given what we have today, the three fundamentals that we have today, there will yeah. be some low-hanging fruits, especially in the biomedical space, that we can take advantage of. Uh, Ghana is a resource-rich nation, which means a field like materials engineering, mm. um, which essentially affects every aspect of engineering, Um, I always like to say the first thing God created was matter, which is material. And so fundamental, you know, understanding of materials, developing a core materials engineering program will be useful. Um, And I, you know, I also think that two key areas, like biomedical engineering and materials engineering, are going to be the most active spaces in engineering in the next 25 years. Mm. And so expanding our programs into that direction Um, would be useful. Um, I'm looking forward to graduating my first set of engineering students and handing them over to Corporate Ghana, either as entrepreneurs in their own capacity um, or as fixes in in some of these up-and-coming factories that we have in Ghana. And then, you know, just going back and doing lessons learned so that we can see, you know, what aspects of our engineering program we should modify and what other areas we should grow in? Great. So I think so, Fred, that's what yeah. I'm looking
1: at. Yeah. So we're 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 running out of time. I wish we had, I'd love cool. to talk some more and and uh, maybe we can get you on the show sometime in the future. But um, I'll give you the last uh, thirty seconds. Uh, what would you like to say about us uh, engineering, session or uh, or higher education in Africa or in the world uh, in closing? What What do you want to leave our listeners with? 30 seconds. I would
2: like to say that, you know, at Ashesi University, we are pushing the boundaries of engineering in Africa. We are trying to forge an African education, ed- educational team that is focused on solving the fundamental problems on the continent. Ninety percent of our students stay after graduation. And so we are hoping that, you know, our friends out there, we're always open for new friends. And we are open to learn. If you're a faculty member out there who would like to spend your sabbatical in Africa, we'll be more than happy if you consider Ashraf University as your destination. Awesome. Um, We are pushing the gender barriers here. We are making engineering attractive for young women and girls in Ghana. And we're looking forward to strategic partnerships around the world that will continue to help us move Prof, uh, Dr. Iwes' dream um, for a beautiful institution, a city on a hill, as we call it,
1: forward. Thank you. Thanks, Fred McBag- McBagan-Lurie from Asashi. Thank you for thank you for joining us and, and best best wishes um, to you and, and the students and faculty at Asashi.
2: Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it.
1: You've been listening to Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education. A special thanks to our guest Fred McBagganlory and Assisi University, help transform higher education. Join the movement to unleash a new generation of innovators by learning more at bigbeacon.org. Join us next week, same time, same channel, in our quest to transform higher education.
0: Thank you for tuning in to Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education. Please join Dave Goldberg soon for another edition. Listen every Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. For additional information about our programs or to find out about the next show, please visit bigbeacon.org. We'll talk again very soon.